You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Barker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. When I came and stood there by Sheila, Sheila said, I went to help the ladies to be there uh, for them uh, to kind of assist them. She said, when I walked in there, they were both weeping and crying. And uh, that's the fruit of true salvation. So we thank the Lord for these. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Lord, you alone are worthy. We sung about the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We sung about your sacrifice. We sung about your shoulders and how they carried that cross and paid the penalty for our sin. You're the atoning sacrifice. As John the the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who washes away the sins of the world. Lord, you alone are worthy to be praised. And so we give you all the glory this Easter day. For Lord, it's all about you. Death could not hold you. And it's because of your amazing grace that Lord, we're set free from the penalty of sin. And Lord, they will be one day set free of the power of sin. So Lord, we love you and we give you all the glory. And we pray right now, as Lord, as we look to your word, that you'll speak to our hearts. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. And we may have to all cough periodically together. And when we do that, we'll just take that as an amen. And so if I say, and all God's people said amen, you can also throw in a cough there as well. Um, I remember the first funeral that I went to, or the first, let me put it this way, really, the, the first dead body I had ever seen. Can anybody relate to me? Do you remember the first time you saw a dead body for the first time? My, uh, my mom had uh, told me that we were going to visit um, an individual's family. He had passed away. This is back in the, this is probably back about 1970. So this would have been 40, what, 47 years ago. The, uh, the man who in the community ran the local business, a little local store had died. And after his death, they were uh, having, having a time of viewing the body, paying the respects. Now, in, in some places, they would have the body in the home. You ever been in those kind of situations where the body viewing is in the home? It's not in, the nur- I mean, it's not in a funeral home. It's there in the home of the person. So my mom was trying to prepare me. We were on our way down there trying to get me ready, this kid, to, because I, did, I just insisted that I wanted to go. I knew that man had done, a, you know, been a customer in that little store. And so I wanted to go with my mom and I was a little bit excited to see a dead body. So we walk in and, and we go into, this is kind of an old southern home. You know, we walk in, we go into the foyer. There's people gathered there. There's a little registration to sign. My mom stops and signs that. And then his body was in the living room And so we made that turn, we turned and we looked, and there was this coffin sitting in the living room. It was a strange, unusual sight. 
And I remember as a kid walking up to that coffin and looking at this man that I had seen so full of life for so many years, and now he was dead. Uh, I, I studied him for a minute. Uh, I, could, I could tell he was dead. And finally my mom said, you know, let, let's move on and, and let other people get up here and, and see him as well. When I was an EMT working in an ambulance service and then a field medical officer in the Army, um, I drove an ambulance for about four years. Again, I learned to recognize death. Uh, I remember one time going to a home of a friend of mine. He came running out the door, him and his mom, and, and he said, get in here quick. And I went into the bedroom, the master bedroom, and there was his dad, got up on the bed, ready to do whatever I needed to do, had my little kit there by my side. But when I walked in, I knew he was dead. Tamara, you probably see this quite often at UMC, University Medical Center. I knew he was dead. Uh, I knew there was no need in trying to do anything because time had already been of the degree that he had not only was dead, he had been dead for a while. I remember being called to, uh, to a wreck, a uh, car wreck, and it was a single car wreck. Middle of the night, the car was flipped upside down. In fact, the friends of mine actually were the ones that went down in there and got this man out. And I remember his body in that ambulance and realizing that this man was dead. And, and I could give you other examples. I remember a friend of mine who's, you've heard me tell this story, her dad was taking a shotgun into the hunting season, putting it up on a rack. When he did, the only thing they could figure was the gun fell, dropped, it was loaded, shot him point blank, put a hole in him about like that. And uh, I remember doing CPR on him for about an hour and 45 minutes, nearly two hours doing CPR because this was a friend of mine. This was her dad. And she said, please do everything you can to save my dad. But we couldn't. We were, we were fighting death and we lost the battle. And finally, a doctor looked at me still doing CPR nearly two hours later in the ER and said, uh, he called it. It's finished. Nothing else to be done. I remember another time the coach's wife, she had had a C-section, just had her first child, had a C-section. C-section had broke loose. We picked her up and she had lost blood. She died. This time able to do CPR, keep her alive, got her to the ER, began to pump fluids in her and, and she lived. But when we transferred her to Jackson, I remember the doctor walking me out and saying, handing me an AMVU bag, which is a bag that you use to breathe, to do CPR, so that you're not doing mouth to mouth. And he said, you'll probably need this along the way to assist her until you get her to Jackson. I learned to recognize death. Now I want you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1 verse 4 because I want you to see life. I want you to see life today. In John chapter 4, I'm in John chapter 1 verse 4. In fact, I'll start at verse 1, but I'm focusing on verse 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things are made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was what? Now he's talking about Jesus Christ and he says about the Lord Jesus Christ, in him was what? 
Okay, now take a right and go over to, well, go over to John chapter, uh, chapter 11. And we're going we're gonna to skip around a little bit, but in John chapter 11, we, we, real quickly, but John chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, let me just kind of summarize this. Jesus has a dear friend, and his name is Lazarus. And Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, who's in another city. They say to Jesus, Jesus, they send a messenger. They say, your friend, Lazarus. Now, you know, we call John the beloved, John the disciple, John the beloved. But many people believe that, G that Lazarus was the closest friend on earth that Jesus had. So Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, and they tell Jesus, Jesus, you need to come quickly because your friend Lazarus is sick. And the Bible says that Jesus kind of drug around. You know, it's kind of like Sheila when she's getting ready in the morning. I, I'll go in there and say, are, are you ready? She'll say, well, I'm getting ready. Now that can mean another 45 minutes. I, I don't know. You know, she, she kind of just takes her time sometimes. And, you know, Sheila, we need to go. Hurry up. Get ready. And I, what I've understood, men, is that it comes a point that you do not need to press it any farther. Amen. Just go out there and wait in the car and look, look do not blow the horn. <laughs> do not blow the horn. That won't get you in good favor with a woman who's putting her makeup on. But Jesus kind of drags around. He, he kind of takes his time. He, it's as if he's intentionally kind of dragging around and, and not hurrying up. And so by the time he gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Mary and Martha come out there and they kind of, well, they come out there and basically they like Martha, you know, Martha, you know who Martha is. She's the one that could always get uh, OCD on you. Martha's out there with her hands on her hip and she says, well, you're a little late. Glad you can make it, but he's dead. You got here too late. And I want you to look at what Jesus says. Picking up in John chapter 11, verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. I'd say that's a little late. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Mary didn't even want to talk to him, I don't believe. Lord, verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I would that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, now look at this closely, verse 25. I am the what? I am the resurrection and the what? And the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will what? will never die. Do you believe this? Now let me read this. You know, often uh, I've, I've learned that sometimes in the message by Eugene Peterson, a pa paraphrase, you get a little different slant on the scripture. Now listen to verses 25 and 26. He said, you, this is Jesus, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. 
And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? Now let me read it again. Listen to the first part of this paraphrase. You don't have to wait to the end. I am right now resurrection and life. Isn't that great? Don't you love that? Now take a right, go over to John chapter 14. And again, here's something where Jesus, he's, he's talking to his disciples now. In chapter 13, he's been talking about his death. They didn't like that at all. They didn't like that a bit. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You ever have somebody that you love talk to you about their death? My mom died of cancer, throat cancer. I remember when, the, when we were sitting there with the oncologist, and the oncologist said, this is what I recommend. And then she looked at me and she said, this will not be good. And mom and I sitting in St. Dominic's having those heart-to-heart conversations that I will never forget. It's hard when somebody you love is talking to you about their death and you don't like to hear it. And Jesus is talking to these disciples. He said, men, come in here close. And he begins to talk to them about his death. They don't understand. And finally Jesus looks at him. You can see their faces troubled. He said, I am the re-. He said, listen. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, you men know me well enough to know that I wouldn't lie to you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, of course, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Thomas raises his hand and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we get there? Jesus, look at verse 6. What does he say? Jesus answers and says what? I am the what? I am the way and the truth. And what does he say? And the life. Now let's pick up, go over to John chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. It gets better. Look over at your neighbor and say, it's going to get better. So John chapter 1, verse 4 says he's life. John chapter 11 to Mary and Martha at the death of his, uh, of his friend Lazarus. And let me tell you this. When he walks up to the tomb of Lazarus, he tells them to roll away the stone. This is a dress rehearsal of Easter. He looks at that tomb and Mary and Martha say, Lord, look, we don't need to remove the stone. It is hot, it stinks, and our, our brother stinks. He's decaying. Leave him in there. Jesus said, move the stone away. And you remember that scene when Jesus then shouts, Lazarus, come forth? You know what every New Testament theologian says? If he had not called Lazarus by name, you'd have had the first, or you'd have had the resurrection. He had to identify exactly who he wanted coming out of the grave. Lazarus, come forth. You remember he comes out, bound in those, those bindings that they put on him during death. He says, cut them, loose them. They, nobody says it better than T.D. Jakes. Loose him and let him go. When I get to heaven, I'm going to preach like T.D. Jakes. But anyway, when you get over here to John chapter 20, 
Beginning at verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Verse 2. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter. Who's writing this? Who's writing this account? John. Who's, who's outrunning who? John. Might as well throw in a little, inspired by the Holy Spirit, might as well throw a little side note in here. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. He's afraid. Verse 6, then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, now look at this, look closely at this. Put your spiritual antennas up real high. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. What did he see? Some would say, well, he saw an empty tomb. Let me tell you what, I, what he saw, I believe. You know, there's a, there's a scene in um, Tim LaHaye in his series, Left Behind. You remember the first scene in the Left Behind book? There's a scene where they're on a 747 and they're flying to London. And all of a sudden there's a knock on the cockpit door they open the door, the stewardess, the flight attendant steps in and says, Captain, people are missing. Captain turns around to co-pilot, they turn around, they look and they, what do you mean people are missing? We're on a plane. The captain, people are, people have dis disappeared. And he said, well, they're up moving around. This is a big plane. They're moving around. And you've got this conversation going on. Some are in the bathroom and some are just moving around. Finally, the, the, the flight attendant says, Captain, you don't understand. People have been exhumed out of, their, out of their clothing. They're not here. Their shoes, their socks, their pants, their shirts, their blouses, their skirts, their dresses, but their people are gone. The Bible says John walked into the tomb. He saw, he didn't just see linen wrappings there. It was as if the body had been exhumed through the wrappings. And the Bible said immediately he was a believer. Why? Because listen, Jesus is life. Now go over to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, because none of that means anything if you don't know this next part of this message and it won't be long. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I think when you look at, everybody look this way. John wrote the gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the Revelation. So he, write, he wrote five books of the New Testament. So five out of the 27 are his books that he wrote inspired by the Holy Spirit. But I think that John sums up in 1 John 5, 13, everything that he wrote. 
when he says here, even though he's alluding to the, this letter, he says in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may what? What, Rachel? Rachel. So that you may what? No. This was a key word when we sat in CJ and Rachel's home. Because I would often look at Rachel when I was preaching and Rachel, you'd cry. You'd cry. And I, and I felt like that day that Willie and I were supposed to go visit in your home. We went into that home and all of a sudden I looked at Rachel and I looked at CJ and I said, do you know for certain because God wants you to know when you die, you'll go to heaven. He wants you to know that because he's life. And Rachel looked, began to cry sitting there in her living room. And I said, Rachel, and she had one of those big old timey, you know the big old timey family Bibles? Had it sitting there on the table. So we flipped over in that big family Bible to 1 John 5.13. And I said, Rachel, pull up here close. And so her and CJ, we moved that. And Willie, we moved the furnishings up in there real close. Uh, the, kids were our, the kids were in school. And I said, what does John say here? 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written to you that believe that you may know. Let's say that. Know that you have eternal life. And I said, Rachel, do you want to know that you have eternal life? She said, with tears flowing down her cheeks, she said, yes. I want to know it. And so we begin, to, we begin to walk down the Roman road. Let me tell you what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3. You know what he told Nicodemus? He said, Nicodemus, and let me speak it in the language of the Shona people of Zimbabwe. He said, Munofanira means you must. Kubarekwa means you be born. And munofanira kubarekwa pachva means again. You must be born again. Wednesday night we were, we were teaching, uh, we, we were finishing up 2 Corinthians. As we were finished, uh, coming to a close, Alan, our chairman of deacons, will vouch for this. At the end of it, Rachel, I meant uh, Anne was coming up, and Anne came up and began to talk, and I looked at Anne, and I said, Anne, have you ever been saved? Have you ever been baptized? She said, a lot of times. You ever hear that? I looked at her and I said, Ann, what's your birthday? I said, how many birthdays do you have? She kind of looked at me funny. She said, Ann, was your birthday July the 11th? Oh, right, I got it right. You'll expect a present from me now and everybody else in the viewing audience here. July 11th. July 11th. She said, July 11th. I said, so you have only one physical birthday. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You need to not only be physically born, you need to be spiritually born. Well, how do you do that? How do I know for certain if I die that I'm going to heaven? Jesus can be life, but how do I know that I'm alive? 
Because Ephesians 2, 1 says that you and I are dead in our trespasses and our sins. We're separated from God. That's the reason Jesus came. He came to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. But how do you get it? So we sat here, we had, we had a Bible. And soon Alan, our chairman of deacons, he was in on this too. We were sitting there with a Bible right here at the altar. And Ann and me and Alan began to walk through the Roman road. Let me tell you what it is. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Everybody listen closely, look this way. You and I cannot be good enough for God. We'll never, we'll never save ourselves. The Bible says our righteousness, filthy rags. And I'm not going to tell you what that means in the original language because it would embarrass you. But the Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. None of us will never be good enough for God. No matter how many leaves we turn over, no matter how many New Year's resolutions we make, no matter, hey, celebrate recovery, no matter how much we're committed to overcoming addictions, no matter what we do, we'll never be good enough. Never be good enough. There's none righteous, no, not one. Nobody. It's like the Bible is making it clear. There is none, no one. Then we went to Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. You know what that means? That means to miss the mark. Doug talked to me one time about bow hunting. Talked about, uh, he, he spoke out of a passage of scripture that talked about a faulty bow, a bad bow, a bow that's not made correctly. And uh, he, he, he walked us through that. But the picture there, sin, is to miss the mark. We're aiming toward what we have to achieve to stand in the presence of God, perfection, and we can't get there. You ever tried to be perfect for a day? Have you ever sat in a service like this, maybe a couple few weeks ago when Reggie was preaching on Zophar and he talked about an angry counselor and you thought to yourself, you know, I got a lot of anger in me. And, and, and you thought, but I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really try hard not to be angry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to really try hard today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to, from, from today, from this invitation on, I, I'm not going to be angry today. I'm going to try to be really good. Only get on the interstate, and when you're merging onto the interstate, somebody cuts you off, and the next thing you're doing is giving them the finger and shouting out your window. The reality is, is that we will never be good enough. And to mess the mark means that no matter how hard we try, no matter all the attempts that we make, we can't do it alone. We can't do it. There's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10. There's for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all mess the mark. No matter how hard we try, we keep falling short. It's like we shoot the arrow toward the bullseye and it falls. There was a, a western town years ago. A man walked into the town. He was a reporter. As he was walking around, he noticed on every tree. He noticed on posts. He noticed everywhere there were, there were big targets. And in the bullseye was a bullet hole. was a hole. And, and he said, man, you, you people must really have a marksman. They said, no, that's, that's the town idiot. He's crazy. And they said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, he just punches a hole in it and puts it up there. 
Now, let me tell you, some, some of us, we have our idea of perfection. God has his. Everybody look this way. His idea of perfection is Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I can't get there. You know, I tell people this is kind of like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pick on the guys a little bit. You know, we all have an ego. It's one of the five basic needs. 80,000 men polled. One of the five basic needs of a man is his ego. Lady, if you want to get, if, ladies, if you want to get on a man's good side, just brag on him. Pump him up a little bit. Just like Thelma Lou did with Barney. And, uh, you know, you just, you just kind of pump him up. But, you know, imagine, guys, imagine, guys, you've been working out. You've been going to the gym, been running, been working out, taking some supplements. Boy, you're beginning to fit. You know, they got mirrors everywhere. And you're just, man, you're working. You're looking at biceps, boy. You're looking at all them other guys. You, you're starting to really kind of get out there a little bit. You know, you've been running. You get out and get a little tan. Then you go, you go get you a new outfit. Boy, you are really feeling good. Friday, Saturday, Saturday night, you tell, you tell your wife, say, we're, we're, we're your girlfriend, you tell your girlfriend and your wife, say, we're going to go out to eat, I'm going to take you to the Olive Garden. But you ain't looking at her, you're looking at yourself. You catch a reflection as you go by the car window. You walk into the foyer and say, uh, two of us, please. You go over there and stand, and you're kind of standing over there with the door to your back, and you're standing there and you kind of, you know the way it is. <laughs> you're looking good. Feeling real good about yourself. Got your hair cut. A little color put back in it. You even go to the bathroom, but not to go to the bathroom, just check yourself out, you know. And you come back out there and you still wait. You wait. And all of a sudden you begin to notice that the way, the, this, this foyer, this receiving area, it really is full of people. It's Saturday evening. A lot of people are packing, packing in there. Before long you begin to notice other people are looking at you. You don't want to say it, but you know why. All the men, you know, men and women, you, you start noticing everybody, everybody's looking at you. And then all of a sudden you realize they're not looking at you, they're looking behind you. You turn around and look, and there's Michael Jordan standing there, passing through Jackson. He just happened to be coming into town. He thought he'd catch something at the Olive Garden. And all of a sudden, you turn and look at Michael Jordan. He's standing up there, towering, base, I mean, a basketball legend, Hall of Famer. His name is just synonymous with, you know, the prima donnas of, of the sporting world. And all of a sudden, you feel like, man, I want to crawl up under the floor and I... The, to think that I ever thought I looked good. Let me tell you something. Imagine standing next to Jesus. So Paul says, there's none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We keep missing the mark. But then he says, and what it, he gets, it gets worse on the Roman road because all of a sudden you come to a sharp turn and it just stops everybody because in Romans 6, verse 23, it says, for the wages of sin, always remember in the Shona language of Zimbabwe, that word means mumbairo. It means the wages, the pay of sin is death. And that just, hey, listen, that's not talking about physical death. You know, a lot of people think, well, you know, I'm going to die. Cremate me. I don't care what you do with me. And I tell Sheila that all the time. Look, when I die, don't you spend a lot of money? I don't want no flowers. You know, we even think that's kind of macho. But I really don't. I don't want flowers. 
take the money, go to the Olive Garden and eat. You know? I, I don't want all that. I said, bury me in a box. And if I had my way, I would be buried, Emily, next to Grace, my black Labrador, my, back, my black lab that's buried out in the backyard. I'd love to be buried next to my dog. Really doesn't matter to me. I don't care. I'm in heaven. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. You know what Paul said? Paul said, listen, you don't sweat the guy that can kill, you, kill your physical body. You don't sweat being shot here on, on, a, on a street somewhere. You don't sweat pancreatic cancer. You don't sweat that physical death. What you better worry about is you better worry about the one who can kill both body and soul. And let me tell you how long it takes to kill the soul. Eternity. So he says, for the wages of sin is death, but, don't you love these buts? <laughs> but the gift of God, I love that in the Shona Bible, the chipo chamwadi. I always love the way that sounds, chipo chamwadi. I see chipo chamwadi. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I'm coming to the end, stay with me. Romans 5, 8 says this, that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Are you listening? Jesus Christ died for you. You know, I heard, I heard Gary Bolin use an illustration one time I'll never forget. Gary Bolin said there was an evangelist. He was talking about the sacrificial death, the beating, and the death of Jesus Christ. He said that the people looked so indifferent that the, that the preacher, did, he pulled a trick. In the middle of the sermon, he told an illustration. He told the story of a fisherman. He was out fishing. He was on his boat. He was fishing. He had a little feist dog, a little dog that was there on the boat with him. As he was, as he was fishing, all of a sudden, the feist dog, this little dog, began to bark. And this man got really upset and told the dog to shut up. The dog wouldn't shut up. Now the preacher was telling it like a true story. Finally, he said the man grabbed the dog, grabbed the hind leg, and cut the dog's leg off. And I hear you. <gasps> and then all of a sudden he stopped and he said, let me tell you something. He said, you show more emotion over a dog's leg being cut off in a fictitious story than you do as I've been preaching about the sacrifice and the death of Jesus Christ. <sighs> Hurry up and get through with it, Brother Jeff. Romans 10 verse 9 says this, that if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus... Because Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to think about that for a moment. Christ died for you. He paid your penalty. But we can know all of that. We can know that Jesus Christ is life. We can know that he's the resurrection. We can read it in the scripture. We can know that we're dead in our trespasses and sin. But until we come to the point that we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, now listen to this, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, the resurrection, we will not be saved. Sin. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved saved. 
And when you and I make that commitment, make that confession, then we know. When I was in a church and I was preaching in a church in, in Zimbabwe in a place called Hunyani, uh, uh, Brian is in Chitanguiza where we, where we were. When it, it was, I think it was Easter, and, and I was talking about Jesus being alive. Well, the words there in Zimbabwe are Jesu Adri Muupenyu, Jesu Christu Adri Muupenyu, which means Jesus Christ, He is alive. So it was during the invitation, and, and it was in this place has got a big market presence. The church is sitting right in the middle of a marketplace. There, there were people everywhere milling, going by these open windows. So as I came to the close of this message, I began to say, Jesu Arimu Upinyu. Jesu Christu Arimu Upinyu. And I kept saying it. Well, then I went to the windows and I began to say, Jesu, Arimu Upinyu. Now that's the language that says, Jesus Christ, He is alive. And I don't know why, I just kept on. I just kept saying it. I walked to every single window. People were stopping in the marketplace, in the musika. They began to look at the church. Who is this barungu? This white man shouting, Jesu Christu Arimu Upenyu. And then I went outside the door and I began to shout. People began to stop. Then I finally shut up, went back in, and was in the invitation. When I was in the invitation, people began to move. People began to come forward. When all of a sudden a young man, young, tall, good-looking African man, young man came in. He came down the aisle. He had tears in his eyes. He took the pastor, Siabunda, took his hand, took Siabunda, Mufunda Siabunda's hand. Our people have been here. Alan and those will know, know who I'm talking about. He took Mufunda Siabunda's hand and, and he spoke to him for a minute. Well, then the invitation, you know, it gets really crazy and wild. I mean, man, everybody's dancing. Teach I am by Hosanna. You're just having a good old time. But I didn't know why the man came. He came in during the invitation, came at the end. He hadn't heard the message. So what had moved him? Why was he crying? So finally I looked over my footness. I said, the man that came in, I said, what, what's the story? And he said, ah, Baba. He said, he heard you saying, Jesu Aribu Upenyu. He had just... He, was, he had bought kerosene. He was trying to commit suicide. He had bought kerosene and was getting ready to drink his first swallow of kerosene, trying to kill himself, when all of a sudden he heard these words, Jesu, I remove you. Jesus, he is alive. And he said, he stopped. He put the can up to his mouth again, about to take a swallow of kerosene, when all of a sudden again, Jesu, I remove pin you. He said one more time. He thought for a minute, because see, I'm a Southern American. So maybe he's thinking, does Jesus come from the deep south of Mississippi? <laughs> He puts it up a third time, getting ready to take his life, trying to commit suicide, trying to end his life, when all of a sudden, Jesu, I remove you. Jesus, he is alive. He dropped the can of kerosene, fell on his knees and began to weep. And then 
he followed the sound of my voice and came to that church and became a Christian. And if I remember, Sheila, it was Kudakwashe. Kudakwashe. Kuda, the love, the will, the desire. Kwashe of the Savior. Do you know him? I'm not, hey, listen, I'm not asking how many times you've been baptized. I'm not asking you, do you have your name on the church roll? I'm not asking you, have you been a member of whatever? I, I'm not asking you what, where you serve or what you do. I'm asking you, do you have a spiritual birthday? Now, Alan and I looked at Ann and said, Ann, we may not be able to tell you the day, but we can tell you everything about the circumstances. I can tell you when it happened, and I can tell you how it happened, and what was going on in my life. Do you have a spiritual birthday? And if you don't, you need to come today. I want to pray for you. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask Reggie and Ledge to be here at the front. Sheila's here close to the front, Tamara. Maybe you're here today with heads bowed and with eyes closed, nobody looking around. Maybe you're here today and you, you saw Ann and Rachel as they gave their life to Christ as they were baptized and you thought to yourself, I need to do that. I've never done that. I want you to listen closely as I pray for you. And at a certain point, if Christ has spoken to your heart and you say today, I don't know for certain, I want to know. I want to settle this. What better day to be saved than Easter? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you, and Lord, we love you. We thank you, dear Lord, for these that came this morning and were baptized and saved. And Lord, we just thank you, even as Sheila said, walking into that bathroom and seeing these ladies just in tears. Because, Lord, we know that when Jesus Christ comes into our heart and forgives us of our sin, there's a radical transformation. It's a new life, a new beginning. We're spiritually born again, not of water, Jesus said, but by the Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray today, and Lord, I pray if there's a man or a woman, boy or girl, teenager, young person, single mom, single dad, senior adult, somebody even listening on our website. I pray, dear Lord, that if they're not sure and they don't know for certain, that they can remember what John the Beloved said, a man that was the only one who would not be martyred. He would live out the remainder of his life caring and watching over the mother of Jesus until Mary died. He would live his life in obedience, teaching and developing leaders and discipling men and women. But even as he came to the end of his life, writing those words, these things have I written to those who believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that they may know that they have eternal life. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know for certain, that Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would lead them to pray this prayer with me, believing it in their heart. 
So I pray, dear Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know, that right now they'll pray these words. Dear Lord Jesus, I know you love me. But I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done bad things. Things that have broken your heart. But today, today, I repent of my sin. Repent means to change one's mind. So I repent of my sin. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me. And right now, to come into my heart. Take control of my life. Be the Lord and the Master. From this day forward, throughout eternity. I thank you, Jesus, for this prayer of faith and the promise of your word. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.